Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Karen Lamb and Elfina Luck, and we talk about their new film, The Curse of the Willow Song, which is currently playing at the Vancouver Film Festival, going to be a real world in the not-so-distant future, I think coming soon to a home theater near you. And, you know, I'm going to say it out loud, I think I'm becoming a horror film fan. This is a horror film with footnotes. Karen, is that okay? I hope I hope you're okay with that. This is there's so much going on in this film. There's so much going on, uh, layers, uh, nuance. I mean, I, let's, we can, we can come up with a few other words and expressions, but, but it really, it's, it's, it's about a film about social justice. It's a film about uh, homelessness. It's a film about, uh, about mental health issues and trauma and how we deal with those things and isolation. And, and it's, it's anyway, it, as I think I say, uh, in the interview with uh, Karen Elfina, it's a it's a beautiful, uh, it's a creepy, and a, it's a stunning film on so many levels. Filmed in black and white, and and you're going to see why right out of the gate. One of the, one of the most gorgeous uh, gorgeous establishing shot sequences I've seen in a long time, and and we we just have so much fun, and it's so funny because Elfina and I sort of commiserated on this idea that we both sort of scare easily. And, and, and we end up in talking about transgressive horror and we talk about psychological horror and, and, and edges, uh, to, to these types of films that are really about, you know, deep cultural meaning, meaning and, and have, you know, symbol and metaphor and, and they're talking about social unrest and, and all kinds of, of, of not only interesting things but important things as well. So I hope you're going to uh, love uh, the, the conversation. We, we, we had so much fun, uh, but, but I really do believe you're going to love this film. So make sure you, you, you uh, do what you can to, to check it out. And Karen Lamb is online as well. You can just search her uh, name, but it's um, KarenLambFilms.com. Uh, 
you can uh, find out more about her work and what she's up to. And um, hey, hey, we we talk about the printed word transferring into being. And I know it sounds so, and you can hear the smile, so academic and ooh, wow, isn't that lofty? Well, it's it's really practical and it, it makes contact with reality in so many meaningful ways. So, so uh, and we find out why Karen, you know, stalks people online. So you're going to have to listen now. It's, uh, uh, we, like I said, we just, we have a blast and we, we really peel back some layers on a, on a whole lot of things. And, um, don't forget, uh, davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and, and my speaking. You can purchase a copy of Real Changes Incremental there. I would love it if you did that. And also face-to-facelive.ca. You're probably coming to this interview through, you know, Spotify or iTunes or Amazon or one of, one of the usual suspects. But 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 please check out this, the website, face-to-facelive.ca. And for heaven's sakes, can you leave us a review? We'd love that. We need it. Uh, the more social media we get, the more attention we get, it it, it just kind of, you know, it, 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 it's the it's the snowball effect and and it's it's really wild to to see how that works so sign up for the newsletter share it with families and friends give us a shout out but please leave us a review on itunes or or whatever we uh we would really really appreciate that it only takes a couple of minutes and it would uh, really go a long way for us and you can also advertise with us too you know we we're getting hundreds of thousands of unique visits a month to our website and we have a newsletter and you can advertise uh, on the podcast themselves as well. So reach out if you're interested, and we'd be happy. We'd happy to 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 help. What does what Bill Murray Bill, Bill Murray say in Ghostbusters? No job is too big, no fee is too big. So uh, looking forward to hearing what you think about uh, the Curse of the Willow song and, and this interview coming up. And and also don't forget uh, Rabble.ca. It's uh, I've been hosted on on that platform for many years. Proud to be there. Uh, alongside of many other uh, thinkers and writers and journalists and bloggers and podcasters talking about things that matter and uh, check them out and you can check face to face out there as well but coming right up uh, uh, just a, a wonderful fun thoughtful uh, interview with karen lamb elfina luck talking about the curse of the willow song stay tuned well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a couple of very special guests here with us today. We have uh, Karen Lamb and Elfina Luck here to talk about uh, their, uh, I'm going to say, just stylish, creepy, and beautiful film, The Curse of Willow Song. Thank you both for for joining me here today on Face to Face. Thank you for having thank us. You. Yeah, thank you. So always, always hard to know where to start with 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 interviews. With uh, we've got we've got an actress on the line. We've got a director, writer, producer. Uh, who wants to take the microphone and tell tell give us a little? You know, me and well, I've seen the film. And by the way, congratulations! Really, really enjoyed the film. Thank you. Yay! So that's uh, that's a that's um, the greatest thing you can hear as a writer director. Not because you want smoke blown up your ass, but honestly, it's just nice that someone likes it. You know, that isn't isn't uh, related to you. <laughs> that isn't related to. Oh, that's very funny. So you've been petitioning your neighborhood. Is that what you've been doing, Karen? Exactly. Do you like it? Do you like it? Yes. No, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's and hard. if you'd like a copy, I have a few USB keys here, right, right, handy. Yeah, yeah, I'm with me. Yeah, Karen. You know what? I think that's a really interesting segue into to I don't know the film industry as a labor of love here, and maybe it's more that in Canada than in other places. Well, I would imagine independent film, and I think I read that you know you kind of 
you really had, you know, it was staple staples and, and, and LePage's white glue to put this film together. You really, you know, tax credits and you know what I mean? Like you really had to dig deep to, to get this before we step into the sort of the narrative, but is, is that true? And, and can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, you mean, did I actually use finger puppets and kazoos? Um, no, I that's don't right. That's but, right. Yes. Uh, for sure. I think with, um, I guess it's a long, it's a, it's a long winded way of saying it, but as an independent filmmaker in Canada and specifically one in genre, I work in horror primarily. And that is actually a staple of how a lot of us make our films, which is, you know, you hopefully raise enough money somewhere, somehow, and you make it for the budget that you have. So it's not, um, we do in Canada. So you make it, you make it work basically. We make it work. I did like, for example, with, uh, the curse of Willow's song, I started off with a, a novella that I wrote, um, for the, I, I do this every year, the national novel writing month thing in November. And so I forced myself to write some sort of pro- long form prose every year. And in this case, it ended up being, um, a short novella and I had two weeks left you know, I finished it in two weeks and, you know, you have to write for the, for me, I write, write for the full month. So I actually took the second part of the month to actually adapt it into a a screenplay. Um, I'm lucky as a writer that I'm a fairly fast writer. And, um, so it, it wasn't, uh, it, it, it sort of kind of came out of my head, almost like Athena coming out of Zeus's forehead, you know, a little Mm. bit fully formed. And, uh, but which is not to say that there wasn't a ton of research, um, my my work process is that I do a lot of research, but it's not necessarily for one specific project. It's just I follow a lot of ideas and, you know, things that I'm interested in. And right. hopefully they all come together into something. But you never know. It's like... So you know, you know what's really interesting is I, I I'm really not a horror fan, and and I I don't even know what sort of that means in some respects. But I've watched a couple of horror films in the last I guess six months, or what 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 would be labeled horror. And and if I had seen this without knowing you or having read any press kit, or, or I don't know that I would call this horror. Mm. Like I, I mean, maybe that's an outrage to you because you're a horror filmmaker, but I I found like there was, I mean, just a a psychological horror, maybe. Yeah. You know what? I I think that I've had that thrown at me throughout my career, (laughs) that you're not a real horror director. Oh, that's hilarious. um, Yeah. The purists, right? The purists would be upset with you maybe. But I argue actually that in horror literature, it's a much wider bandwidth of what is considered horror by comparison right. to what we label as horror in, um, I guess, in, like, you know, in, in film world. In the cinema world, it seems to be that usual slasher tends to be in right. the horror genre Fair or, point. you know, unless yeah. it's a vampire film or, you know, you, you have to fit into a monster or you have to fit into a type. But in actuality, when you look at horror fiction, you know, you look at gothic horror, for example, like, would you look at a film like, you know, the book Rebecca is, in my opinion, a gothic horror. But when you look at the movie, is it still considered horror at that point? You know, like mm. once it once it goes through that Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's, you know, original book that, you know, Frankenstein, the monster is considered like now a horror trope. But when she wrote this, is this you know, it, it's it, it's always been that. I, I come from a very strong literary background as well, and I do love a lot of uh, foreign horror films. And a lot of those, um, the Curse of Willow Song, is very inspired by Asian, specifically Japanese mm-hmm. horror from the 1960s. And there's a certain style to that that I don't know whether or not in today's day and age whether 
it's not a, a classic slasher. But, you know, you look at a film like The Witch or the like Lighthouse, and those films, to me, have um, dark psychological components to sure. it. I consider them horror. But, you know, it, is it still fit? Like, it's on the periphery of what's considered horror. No, it's interesting. Good. Dark dark psychological, um, what, what did you say? Dark psych- psychological edges to them? I, I guess so. You're asking me to requote myself. I, <laughs> That's right. Always, <laughs> I might have just always that out. <laughs> yes, yes. My my guest today, Karen Lamb, she's not requotable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know what? So much there, Karen. I want to come back to uh, Elfina. So when you read the script, I don't know how you were brought into the project. Do you see the? I mean. I think this is anyway. I'm just going to ask the question: Do you start to see the thematics, the the, the underlying tones, the the issues about homelessness and, and drug addiction and mental health and and all these other things that I think are so apparent in this film, and and and, and I can't wait to talk about them. But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that as an actress and as you stepped into the role. Yeah, it's a good question. When I first read the script, um, and I, I've I've worked with Karen a few times now and I love her writing and it was it was just so easy to drop right into the character that it didn't feel like I had to think about anything so all those those themes that you just mentioned they were there but I have to say when I saw the film I was very surprised by the depth of what came off the screen um, because of the style that Karen chose to um, uh, do the film and, and, and I was, and I, I echo you. I'm not actually a horror fan. I just scare easily and I don't like to be scared. <laughs> so I was kind of um, hesitant when I went to watch the film filming. It was, you know, it was great. I, I loved it. And I wasn't too creeped out by the creepy warehouse we were filming in, but um, you know, I, I didn't know what the creature was going to look like or any of that stuff. So when I watched it, I was, I was prepared to be scared and cover my eyes, but I was actually really surprised um, by the style. Uh, and I, I understand why Karen decided to do it in black and white. It just brought this other level and layer to the film. And I really, really appreciated that piece of it. And it, it accentuated all these other themes that you just mentioned and brought a depth to it that I, I really uh, respect actually. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what, and I, oh boy, to all the horror film fans out there, I didn't, I didn't expect that, that depth either. Sorry, Karen, I hope that didn't offend you, but but it really is there. I mean, talk about layers and, and isn't the horror what's actually going on in these people's hearts, souls, and minds, right? Not, not, not what we're actually watching. That's what, I mean, I love it when a film, when I had no idea where the story was going, I love that. And, and in some ways, again, I mean, it's, it can be so cliche to say you turned it on its head, but you certainly did for me, Karen. And, and uh, maybe I'm becoming a horror fan. I don't know. I, I think that uh, the horror that I've been watching and been really inspired by in the last while has, I call it sort of a transgressive horror where, hmm. It is um, taking some really socially um, relevant ideas. And it's always been that way, actually. You know, when you look at zombie films, you know, you're looking at social unrest in a lot of ways. You look at a monster sure. film and that is like, it. you know, Godzilla is coming straight out of the, the post, you know, nuclear age in, in, in Japan. So a lot of the horror that has always resonated with us really does have symbolic and cultural meaning that's beyond what, you know, sometimes people dismiss it as. So, um, you know, in this one, I think it's a little bit more on the surface, but 
to me, um, unless I truly care about a character, I don't really care about the scares. It's very easy to just throw more blood at something, you know, and, and as a filmmaker, it really is fun. Like I, I, I do enjoy, you know, the, the, the technicalities of actually dealing with blood scenes and, you know, on and on. That is just the fun of filmmaking. But it, in some ways that can um, that might be the easier solution than it is to actually make you worry about someone or to make you care about what's happening to them. To, to me, that's the that's that sometimes is a missing component in um, some of the I, I guess I don't want to call it schlocky, but, you know, some of the horror that gets a, a certain reputation for people where they're like, I don't like horror. And I say, you have not seen good horror. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, fair, fair point. And just to call back to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was one of the greatest books I've ever read. I, I think I, I was fortunate. I mean, I think I was forced to read it in my late teens, I think, uh, you know, some, some teacher somewhere in, in Rexdale, Ontario, but, but wow, did I fall in love with it? So who knows? Maybe I'm some sort of closeted uh, horror fan after all. Well, after you read uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, how do you not fall in love with monsters, right? <laughs> what a great line. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. I, but I'm with you, Elfina. I scare easily as well. And <laughs> and and I, I sort of step into this, I stepped into this uh, as well with a little reticence going, geez, I wonder where I'm going to be taken today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I guess that's part of what the the genre is really all about as well. I, I think that's why I've always enjoyed being in horror as compared to, say, doing a rom-com or doing a straight drama, which is that horror, allow, as a filmmaker, allows you so many experimental techniques that, you know, would maybe be very off-putting unless you're in a Charlie Kaufman movie. You know, like, I feel right, like right. you can start really playing with things. Like, we could play with frame rate changes. We could play with, like, just strange, like, dream, you know, apocalyptic scenarios in a way that you really can't justify in a kind of in a straight out, you know, drama or, again, in a, in a rom-com that people want to watch. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't help but think a little bit of, of, um, hmm, is it Rousseau in the, sorry, I studied philosophy, uh, for many, many years and still read it, but Rousseau, uh, every born free, but everywhere in chains. It seems to me, Willow Song, you know, the way you've talking about uh, playing with uh, the, the film, the way you shoot it uh, reminded me a lot of Pie by Aronofsky, uh, one of my favorite films. I mean, to me, that's psychological horror in a way. I mean, there's, right? But, yeah, but absolutely. The, the way, hmm, help me out here, but the way you frame her, the way you track her, uh, the opening, close to the opening sequence, walking over the bridge, she's, she's, she's surrounded by a fence. Uh, so many of the shots give me this sense that she is kind of in chains, born free, but everywhere in chains. Is that, I mean, you know, obviously intentional on a lot of levels, but can you unpack that? I'd love to hear from both of you about that and how that teased out uh, for her character and for, for just, I guess the, 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 the bigger meaning of, of, of the curse of Willow song. Well, what's interesting is that um, when Thomas Billingsley and I, um, Thomas shot the film, he's the cinematographer, um, when we were going through the script, we wanted to make sure that every frame of Willow was essentially that she was still incarcerated. She right. was out of prison, but that the world that she was released into was just as much of a prison. And so everything that we did was there's no clean shot of Willow. She, If she is clean in the shot, she's always off to the side. We've 
put her deliberately off center. She's always off kilter. And um, when when I wrote the script specifically for Val Tian, the um, the lead actress. I wanted her, um, and I guess it's because the novella was written in second person, not in first or third person, which I've never done before. I wanted her almost to be us. And so hmm. when I wrote Alfina's character, Danny, all of the characters literally are talking at and to Willow. She's almost like a cipher. She's reacting to the things that she's being told. But basically all of the big monologues and the big speeches are given to everyone else. She doesn't, she rarely has that. She's a very, she's a very quiet character as things go. But um, yeah, I was a little worried when I handed the script to Alfina, whether or not she would see these giant chunks of monologue and say, Oh, Oh no, what are you doing? So, <laughs> What, what was your first reaction, Alfina, when, when you read the script? Um, I think I did have the thought, oh, I have a lot to say here. <laughs> but when I read it, but the thing is, you know, you read something and then when you say it out loud, something, tr tr there's a, it just transfers into being. And so mm. when that happened, and this is a testament to Karen's writing, I think you're just absolutely brilliant, Karen, is just that it just came out of my mouth as though they were my words. Um in so in, on so many different levels, it's a it's information that I'm aware of, um, you know, that I've had thoughts about at, that have crossed my mind through the, my entire childhood and upbringing. Really, just witnessing the world around me and the culture here. Um, and so, when I got to say the words, it was actually in a way really liberating because these are this is information I know, but not that I walk around speaking these words, but it's information that. I have um, a visceral understanding of and for. So when I got to say it, it actually, you know, wasn't very difficult to come out. And just the flow of it was, was um, I really felt honored to give meaning to these words, actually. And when I did the scene with Val, it was really great to be able to share that with her. And she's just such a great partner that when I, you know, uh, like Karen said, she just is so responsive in her, just her beingness that it was, it felt it felt really connected on both sides. I love, I love that uh, the script transfers into being. Whoa, that's uh, that's a comment on the poetry uh, of your writing. It seems to me, Karen. What's 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 your comeback on the on the on the panel discussion we're ha we're, oh, we're I, having here today? Yeah, I, yeah I'm I now I'm gobsmacked now. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I'm, seriously, I, that's that's huge. Transfers into being is like okay. Hang on, we got to hit stop. We got we got to start over. Like this is this is now a whole new interview. <laughs> it's, it's like I feel I feel an essay coming on here this is fantastic news yeah it well it's amazing because um whenever like i mean i don't know whether um my poor actors and performers in my films actually know how much i stalk them on social media and <laughs> other other shows but i spend a lot of time actually hearing how they speak how it is mm. and then it's almost like once i've written the character, the lines for them, I don't think about it anymore. It really is them. It's not, um, I, I, it, it's, it's not like I go back to anything. And so when I heard Alfina saying the words on, on set, it was almost like hearing it for the first time. And I remember how, um, my, our, our producer, Karen Wong, um, basically looked at me partway through because it was powerful on the page when we were writing it. And it was funny because when I was writing it, I could feel myself blushing because I was like, am I allowed to 
like, are we allowed to say this out loud? Because it felt mm. uh, the, the, the lines that I gave Danny, who is um, Althea's character, is very much um, this very hard edge that is actually in I've, I've heard it from relatives and from friends in like we're, we're both Chinese and um, sometimes you get this like this immigrant um, it's almost like lectures that you get from your your parents and older people that are like don't be stupid this is how the world actually works you guys are being so idealistic you know right. we know we raised you in Canada and you guys have a slight idealistic image of how good people are but they don't want you to be here. You know what I mean? And I just thought, wow, that was really hard to actually say out loud and to have another character actually say, because it feels like a hidden secret in some way. Mm. And I remember when uh, Elfino was delivering the lines and it was just coming out and Karen Wong, our, my producer looked at me and she was like, are we allowed to say this out loud? And I was like, I don't know. We'll just keep it in for now. Like we always have it in the back of our heads. Like if this is actually really like, we're not supposed to say this, we can always edit it out. You know? Right, right, <laughs> That's right. That's our out when it comes down to it. But it's like, but as we, as we were hearing it, it felt very much like, oh my God, are we allowed to say this? You know, and 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 I, I think as a filmmaker that whenever I get those moments of, am I allowed to say this? That's the very thing that needs do, to be said. Do you, do you mean like giving? Um, hmm, I think it was uh, Dale. Is that his character name? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you people waltz in and out of here. Was that the line? Like, do you mean like lines like that where there's yeah, this? Yeah, and in Elfina's case, it was this idea of the you know they don't want us to succeed being here. Mm. They want us mm. to basically be in this like kind of like in a working class bubble where you're not at the you know what I mean like you're not stealing all our real estate. You're not driving the, right. Right. You know, these uh, McLarens around town and wrapping them around like telephone poles, you know, like there's that there's um there there's a way of expressing that, you know, you kind of say and you hear within the family, but certainly is not something that you say outside or even want to say it, even think out loud. Like I I know that um, whenever I, I used to visit my my family in Hong Kong, um, you know, and I was raised in Brandon, Manitoba. So they would always say, oh, my goodness, she's so innocent. She actually thinks the world like basically wants her to do well. What a thought. You know? It's mm. like such so a deep, I, it's almost condescension and cynicism, eh? Like that's sort of what that, that sounds like the tone to me. Yeah. And I, I do think that, again, um, I don't know whether Alfina has the same um experience in her in her growing up but my relatives are quite cynical and they did a lot of business they're from hong kong but they did a lot of business in china and when you've got two billion plus people this this cutthroat way of being is very much uh, mm. in the culture and i again when we're in canada you know again we're all kind of kumbaya when it comes to like oh it's a it's not a melting pot, but it's a mosaic. Everyone, you know, like we just, we love that you have your cultural thing. Let we go for dim sum. You know, it's all very, um, it's, 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 it has a certain light, almost uh, rom-com feel to it. And when I went back to Hong Kong, I remember um, essentially being told by my relatives that I'd be eaten alive if I was mm. actually like really born and raised there because, you know, no one thinks in this like, kumbaya sort of way you know it's, right, it's a right. little too it's a little too idealistic so karen you brought up rom-coms twice do you have something against them or oh i, I i'm sorry i'm bitter i have issues with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You've got rom-com like issues. I get it. Yeah, I have yeah. rom-com issues in the fact that to me they're more horrifying than actual. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's I mean, I've, we've got all kinds of soundbite quotes we can take out of this already, but that's that's genius. Um, uh, you know, there's there's lots of lines that are that are a lot of fun in the film too, and I definitely want to talk a little bit more about technique and 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 the black and white and the challenges you had with that. I love black and white film, and I mean, what a what a perfect script, what a perfect film for for a black and white piece um but my can i say what one of my favorite lines uh in the film is uh, what i think it was flea's line and she says that's quite the front door you've got there that is just, <laughs> just hilarious and way to make and way to make empty warehouses even more creepy like come on like they're creepy enough as it is um um alfina you get you get a line that honestly we could we could do 45 minutes without without uh, breaking a sweat on uh, you can never go wrong with real estate you got to put your you got to put your money into the land i believe is the line yeah and for me i just i mean and maybe it's because i i focused uh you know i uh, i i interviewed Loretta um about her new film monkey beach i had grace dove on the line last week from tiff i michelle latimer and an and inconvenient indian and i just went wow isn't that what it's really all about Thomas King says it's it's just all about the land you know and and anyway just either of you to to step in there was that was that intentional and but the way it comes out it sure was to me it sure seemed like it well what is this new new colonialism that we're in you know all the various forms of it it's always been about the land right um I think that over and over again, that's what we're, you know, I, I think at our, our heart of civilization, it's all about fighting over territory. And so whether it's real estate or, you know, it, whether it's a condo or, or mm. you know, actual land rights and water rights that are coming up, you know, all the things that are, are, are there, what else are we fighting over? Right. It's all, it's, it, it, it sort of all comes back to that. And I think that, I think that's Thomas King's quoted in, in, in Michelle's new film as saying, is saying that it's always been about that and it will always be about that. Yeah. We all channel our inner Dunny Kravitz, right? Like we're, <laughs> it's always about the land. Alfino, <laughs> uh, interested to know how you prep, how you prepped a little bit for this role. Um, um, the, there's a, hmm, that darker psychological edge. Mm-hmm. Do, um, do, do you have to go? Do you have to go to some of those scary places that you don't even want to watch on screen in order to in order to conjure some of that stuff up, or 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 are you too much of a pro for that? I don't even know if that makes sense. <laughs> well, for this character specifically, I didn't. It was she was kind of logical in what she was mm. saying based on her perspective of the world, and yep. I found that her lines were very truthful. So. I didn't feel like I had to visit any of those darker places um, for the character as that's just really where she lives. Um, and really, you know, the conversations in the warehouse and then the car, it's like the, the environment itself was creepy enough, you know, talking in the dark in an enclosed space. So um, yeah, I don't think that I had to do a lot of prep in that sense, but like I said before, there was so much, that oh I wanted to say this because Karen I've heard you say that you stalk us a couple times now and I just have to say that is the highest compliment so thank you for stalking us <laughs> um, because of the work that she puts into you know um, the writing and and finding the right person to say these words I have to honestly say I, I didn't feel like I needed to work very hard to say these words with a lot of truth and. To be honest, I found that as I was doing the work, I found, 
you know, the passion behind the words because it mm. was actually really close to home for me. So um, I enjoyed being given the opportunity to say these words out loud. You know, poetry was meant to be spoken out loud. You know, you read a poem and, mm. and then you go, okay, I, I, I mean, I like poetry, so, but, but, but a lot of people don't. But then you hear it spoken well or you know from the stage and it just it changes everything mm -hmm. and i think karen your comment about uh, maybe stalking's not the right word but but your research i mean i think there's something really interesting about that there's a huge insight there i think for 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 directors for writers to say you got to know the people there's something about community there there's something about relationship that i love that's informing your writing and i think that's a really uh, important insight. I, I I love the rhythm of of dialogue. Um, mm. yeah, I'm fortunate um, that in my past I've worked in true crime, and a lot of a lot of my enjoyment of working in true crime is actually just listening to the cadence of how people talk. Um, I spend a lot of time um, alert. I, I, I now I sound really creepy, like I lurk in different places, listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I love being behind loud talkers, you know, like I love hearing snippets of conversation that are not dialogue. And yet that's how characters and people are supposed to speak. And right. um, hearing right. that natural rhythm is really interesting. I love, I, I'm the worst um, parrot mimicker. Like basically if you have an interesting voice, I will be parroting you for for days after so i did you hey did you just did you just follow me on instagram i, I can't i can't tell yeah no i'm pretty sure yeah i just got a notice <laughs> no, again yeah, yeah. I, it's so fun like you know there's nothing more um the like for example i mean someday i'll use this and i've just boned myself by telling you this but i overheard in i was in taco time many years ago and i overheard uh, essentially these two i guess they were clowns and they were breaking up and I loved how the one clown was telling the other clown that he was going to Vegas without the partner clown. And I, it was okay, so like I'm I'm trying not to laugh out. Too, like I'm holding back a smile and a laugh right but, now. But anyway, you know, keep going, because please. Because the one clown had actually like he had learned some fire juggling that went along, and the other clown was still doing his old clowning, and he wasn't evolving into new clowning. And I remember mm. like eating my Mexi fries and just being enthralled by this conversation of these breakup clowns, you know. <laughs> So funny. Did yeah. have either just just uh, don't want to interrupt, but have either of you seen an older film? It's got to be late eighties called Shakes the Clown. I love that film. Yes. <laughs> sounds yeah, it sounds like you're you know describing a scene out of maybe Arrested Development or Modern Family as well, right? It's yeah. got a little bit of that edge. These two clowns breaking up. It's very funny. And so I think that um, to me, when you're writing or you're a filmmaker or whatever, it's about basically as much as you can. You're you're mimicking real life in a lot of ways. You're you're not just watching other premium films and you know parroting that. You are hopefully um, taking real people and kind of you know blowing them up in a way that actually makes right. sense for you. And so you know not everyone will have like gotten an extra order of Mexi fries just so that they could listen to the rest of this conversation. But for me, that was just gold. I had to, <laughs> I needed to know what was going to happen. So it's beautiful. Elfina, you know what? You, you get another, I'm going to just call, call out another great line that I loved. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was you. You get into the car uh, with um, uh, Willow and, and, and you guys are chatting back and forth and it's, there's a clearly tension, et cetera. I think she's just hopped in and, and, as you drive away, don't you tell her to wear her seatbelt? Yes. Yeah. So, 
so okay so years ago many years ago and i'm going to show my age but i rented you know the godfather trilogy and i watched it in one weekend which is probably a, a good idea on one hand and a bad idea on the other i was like now a part of the corleone family like like sign me up like i'm in and and there's something about like there was something really uh warm and gentle about that 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 was unexpected and I, and I love those moments in film because I think, well, I love those moments in storytelling, I suppose, because there's that juxtaposition and, and Karen, help me out. Isn't this film all about contrast and I mean, light and the black and the whites and the, and the shadows and all that wonderful stuff that you guys played with so beautifully. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the love in a gangster family? Like it, it did, did that come up on set? Did you guys talk about that kind of thing? Because in one sentence, it was communicated to me. Yeah. Well, that Alfina, contradiction, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Alfina and I had this discussion about whether or not she and um, Willow's brother, who like basically is the, is the relationship, whether or not she, um, Danny, the character and mission, the, the brother, whether they actually loved each other. And mm. because there's a certain um, hostility and aggression. Right. Between right. Them. Sure. Yep. Having grown up in a Chinese family, um, that yelling and that hostility was basically what, how my parents expressed love for each other. So <laughs> I don't know. Like we had a lot of, um, I think we had some non-Chinese people asking, do they like each other? I'm like, <laughs> of course they do. They're, that's love. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. There is a, and when you mentioned that line, I got chills because I remember mm. saying that line to Val and it was a moment because here we are talking about all these things and I'm, you know, kind of getting down on her and like, you know, about responsibility and stuff like that. But, but essentially she does care for her cause she showed up. And in that moment, that is how, you know, I didn't say I love you to my sister till I was probably in my twenties. And even then there was, there was a bit of like discord and I had to, as I started growing up, I started to have to push for um, uh, emotional connection within my family, because that's not how you show that you love someone. And so telling them to put your seatbelt on is basically saying, I care about you. I love you. Put your damn seatbelt on, you know? And so, yeah, I actually love that line. I forgot about it, but um, I'm glad you mentioned it. Well, I think it's beautiful that you can communicate so much. And, and as a writer, Karen, and I'm sure there were other lines around there or other stuff that maybe you edited out or you you deleted from the script originally, but to communicate that kind of a relationship in the family, I don't know, so quickly, so easily, I just think is a, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Thank you. Maybe it's because this, uh, this script compared to even other scripts that I felt were very close. This one felt very personal to me, hmm. yes. And it felt like the characters, like especially the relationship between Danny and Willow and with Mission, like all of that felt very familiar to me. So that's probably the, in some ways, the the conversations that I almost spent the, the least amount of like hard thinking time on because that's how we would say it. My mother is like to this day is never, I, I don't think I've ever heard I love you from my mother. And wow. you know, it's... Uh, it's 40 plus years now. Thank you. Um, but I would say that it's, it, she used to say to me and, and more so as I've gotten older is that that's not like, she goes, words are empty. It's showing up. It's basically making sure you're taken care of. That's what's, mm -hmm. that's what's love in an, in a Chinese family. You don't, you don't need to hear these empty again. It feels to her like empty buckets, just basically climbing yeah. 
you know, I, yeah, practice what you preach, follow through. I can, I can say all the words in the world, but, but I'm, well, Danny, uh, Danny's, uh, sorry, Alfina, your character, you say, oh, I'm always going to be here for you before. I think that's before the, 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 the seatbelt scene, isn't it? Or, or it's a part of that same scene. Yeah. So, so, so follow through. It's, it's almost like a, like a, like a call to action. I, I can't believe we're, we're coming up on the end of the interview. It, it, it honestly, I knew this was going to happen. It always happens. It's just, you know, it's like, uh, we got to book a part two. I'll have to talk to Nicola about that. But before we talk about shadows, metaphor, juxtaposition and all that, and FW Murno, um, I saw a sign, uh, in, in, uh, destroy the patriarchy, not the planet. I believe Did I see that in, in, <laughs> in, in the, opera? okay. So I love that kind of stuff. I love those little shout outs. Uh, how many of those did I miss? You know what? It's probably all in um, the counselor Melissa's office for sure. <laughs> I think that most of that is there. Just this idea of these um, these platitudes that we mm. say. Like this is part of it. Like this idea that we say things to each other, but it's again because um, one of I think one of my favorite lines is one that I gave to Amanda in that scene where she's like, you know, you have my phone. You can always call me at the office. You know what I mean? Like she didn't give her right, a private right. number. We're friends, but only in this professional way. And so it felt like that's the juxtaposition of these false relationships where you hear mm. all these words like, you know, I'm all for the planet. And yet, you know, you see these same people doing all of these things that are not for the planet and, and not, you know, if, if anyone is um, with up, upholding the patriarchy, I would say that woman actually is. So well, that's to me, and then to Karen, to me, that's the horror of the of, of the, the 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 relational horror of this story is is that kind of patriarchy, that kind of racism, that kind of stereotyping, that kind of irrationality when it comes to others. Like, okay, I'll I'll treat you, I'll be your friend within you know not from nine to five, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I'll take your call from nine to five, but holy smokes, don't ask me to to I don't know drop you off at home on the you know after work or whatever. Right? Exactly. And then so, you, you, you contrast that with, again, Danny, who seems so, you know, basically there's this chastising that goes on and, you know, a, a very tough relationship. And yet who's in her corner, right? Who's the right. one who's basically going to show up and, you know, basically like, you know, tell her to, out of her concern, just put on your seatbelt. All of those things are those that's real love. Whereas what we're getting in the institutional love that you're supposed mm. to, you know, like that's, that's supposed to be her surrogate family now that she's been released from prison. To me, that's the, those are all the grays and black and some white that, you know, that, that hopefully are in the, in the film. It, would would you say that's part of the, and and it's, sadly this is probably around now where we're going to have to wrap up and 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 for for those of you who don't know the film's uh, the Curse of Willow song and it's it's at the Vancouver Film Festival uh, now and going to be at Real World Film Festival coming up in the in the not so distant future and I think we can talk about this as we wrap up finally but uh, uh, theatrical and a v, and then video on demand ultimately is that the plan Karen I think so I don't know whether yeah. we're going to have um, a theatrical because I mean we mm. are getting uh, live theater um in vancouver and i right. think at the vif theater um through vancouver film festival the film will have a, um potentially more screenings throughout the year after the festival in a limited ways but we are in a pandemic so maybe crowding people into a theater might be a uh you know again we we don't know where things are going to go but um right now again we'd love to see it on um just again in people's coming to a living room near you is how we'd like to see it yeah no for sure 
shadows metaphor juxtaposition i mean I, I i mean one of my first one of the the most brilliant first images of a, sh a shadow used in film that i saw was nosferatu but what is that 1902 or something or late 1800s i don't even know you know the hand you know the one i'm talking <laughs> yes. about yeah so is is did was that a conscious choice i'm filming in black and white because i want this really to be about the grays Yes. This, this, right? Yeah. yeah. Can can you kind of sort of maybe wrap us up? And, and we're going to need this to be quotable as well, oh, Karen. God. And, <laughs> no pressure and, there at and all. No, <laughs> and, and no more and no more rom com references. No just more so rom com. References. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. It, it is a direct. Again, the the black and white was a, a conscious choice because that is what I wanted to look at, which was this this world that she exists in is all about the black, the white, but also the shadows of her mind. And mm. so that is actually a, 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 a large component. The, the monsters that we create are really the shadows that are kind of in our, in our, in our world. Um, I never, I never, I did not write this with color in mind. It was always going to be in black and white. Mm. All of my reference movies that I was looking at, um, were, uh, Anibaba, um, you know, I was thinking about the, the, the Japanese films. Oh, there's a, a 1920s uh, experimental film called the, I think, Pages of Madness or Page of Madness. And it was found essentially in a barn in, in sections and they put it back together and it was on YouTube. And there's just these beautiful images of a woman who's basically been imprisoned and it's a loose um, story, but there's this rain and this black and white sort of these images and seeing that really, um, that, that was the inspiration for a lot of what we were, that, what we were looking at as far as the look of the film and to, to get the themes across, which was that there seems to be such black and white ideas of how, whether it's, uh, you know, addiction, uh, you know, mm. post incarceration living, you know, like what's good, what's evil, all of that. But truthfully, we all do live in the grays. We really do. It it seems to me, and Elfina, just want uh, want to ask you one final question. I mean, it and it may sound a little corny, and it's not meant to be, but you know, you read the script, you 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 do the film, you 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 scare easily, and yet you watched it, you know, uh, in its entirety. What what do you take away now? Like honestly, sometimes I I, I walk away from a film and, and and I actually know that I'm a better person because I've seen it. I'm going to ask new questions. I'm I'm going to have new conversations. You know what I mean? Kind of like what oh, we've yeah. done here. It's part of the reason why I do face to face. Frankly, it's it's uh, it's part of the reason why I host a podcast because I get to meet brilliant folks like you and and unpack things in a way that I don't even know where it's going to go sometimes. And and I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I agree. And I have to say that I got to know Karen a bit more as soon as we finished watching it. When we watched the screening for the cast and crew, it was actually projected against the wall. So it was amazing <laughs> nice. ambiance that we were in nice. during a pandemic and everyone's in their cars and in masks. And I just messaged her right away. I was like, I get why you did it. And I feel like I, I understand her more because here I am reading the script and it's it's another script. It's amazing words we're shooting. But then when I see it on screen and it's all put together, like I said before, I understand why she chose to do in black and white. And that the quote there that I heard Karen was like, we all live in the gray, right? Mm -hmm. And it just was such a... A, a beautiful piece that I want to watch it again. I plan to, and I will be on uh, at VIF as well, but um, it's just the art of it. She brought this, you know, I watched so many movies and, you know, action, rom-com, drama, all these things. 
And this film to me was like a true piece of art. And I Mm. feel so honored that I got to be a part of it. It's beautiful. Right out of the gate too, Karen, the establishing shots, the arc welding, the electric welding going on and the, 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 I mean, just all the the wonder. I worked in construction for years and I worked with people who wore helmets like that. And and what's with the welding helmet, by the way? But anyway, that's a, another conversation. <laughs> it's just, yeah, what a, what a beautiful way to set the tone for where we're heading, right? This, uh, anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm sure you've got something to say about that. Oh, actually, no, I... <laughs> I wound down. Sorry. I was like, you wound down. You were done. You were done. You're currently working on a rom-com script. I understand. Absolutely. It'll be very, very, it'll be so happy. It'll be, um, you know what, if it was, I would totally do Wally. I think that that's something that, you know, I, that's how I feel right now. I feel like Wally in, in this post pandemic. No, I'm not even post in pandemic world. In pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, guys, what a pleasure talking to you today. It's just been so much fun. Uh, the, fil- the film is The Curse of Willow's Song. We've been talking with Elfina Luck and Karen Lamb about, about this. Uh, and I, and I, can I say stylish, creepy, beautiful film? Is that okay, Karen? Totally. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm going to put that on my Tinder profile. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, now that, now that you're stalking me, you can put it on my profile too. So, <laughs> you know. There you go. Um, uh, playing at the Vancouver uh, International Film Festival if, and also coming to the Real World Festival and apparently coming soon to a living room near you. Thank you to you both. I mean, well, it's been fun. It's been insightful and, and just, yeah, I've had a blast. So thanks for, oh, and hey, you listeners out there, make sure you like us somewhere out there on the web, YouTube, iTunes. It's uh, it's always a challenge, this whole, this bloody thing they call social media. Anyway, Karen, Elfina, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.